0: Sonic States.
1: Welcome to Sonic State Podcast 18, uh, going live on uh, Thursday, the 19th of October. Uh, today's guests are Dave Spears from G Media Music, makers of fine plugins. Hi, Dave. Hello. And we've also got Mark Tinley, uh, sound artist and musician programmer extraordinaire. Hi, Mark. Hi. So, Korg uh, Oasis. the new operating system. I mean, for those who don't know, the Oasis is the sort of monster Korg flagship that's kind of uh, essentially a computer-based keyboard workstation, which has all sorts of wonderful synthesis technology in it, but does cost a pretty penny. Um, And they've added an MS-20 and a a Poly 6. They're both sort of EX versions in the new operating system, which are based on the legacy collection, but you get more, like more um, uh, LFOs and what have you. Anybody um, ever laid eyes or hands
2: or ears on a on an oasis uh yeah i did try one um a couple of times um it does sound very nice but it's bleeding expensive and actually it made me laugh i tried it in a guitar center in new york and it was they had you know the event 2020s set up and you know it was all very luxe mega point of sales and all the rest of it and yeah. uh, and yet if i was spending i think it was like six thousand dollars or something like that i did the last thing I'd want is a load of idiots thumping keyboards around me, making sort of bleeps and boops all the time. I'd want an isolated room where I could consider my purchase over time. Uh, and that's really my own experience with it.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine had this on a, on a PCI card in the back of his computer a while back. Before they released it as a keyboard, I think it was available as an internal audio card.
1: I think it was the same sort of technology. I don't think it was quite the same thing.
0: It had a Korg Prophecy built onto the the Oasis card. Mm-hmm. And and I've never really been particularly convinced by a Korg Prophecy because it's supposed to be a keyboard that sounds like an analogue keyboard and it sort of does, but it doesn't, like just about everyone else's analogue keyboards that sort of do and they don't.
1: The new the Oasis itself, I mean, it's not just the synthesis now. I mean it what's it got four or five <laughs> synthesis engines, a sort of built-in recorder um, and playback system and it's pretty and some fairly um substantial physical controls that they've built custom built for it, which I think, you know, if you're if you're doing a lot of live stuff and maybe you just want one thing or you're you know, you're you're a one box kind of guy, then I think this is who they're selling it to. You know, people like Klaus not Klaus Schultz. Schultz, Schultz yeah. And uh, Steve well, probably not Stevie because he couldn't use the touch screen, but uh you
2: know.
0: But that kind of, is that kind of caliber of person going to want an MS20 and a Poly 6 or are they going to want something a bit more modern?
2: It's quite interesting. I mean, the, the beauty with the MS20 and stuff like that was the immediacy of controls. So, this, you know, I'd have to see uh, how the controls on the Oasis kind of linked up and stuff like that.
1: The other, the other things you're getting, you're getting increased polyphony. It's now got 96 voices, and the string machine part has got 48 vo- voices as opposed to 32. So they're, so they're, what they're obviously doing is really getting their DSP code a lot more efficient, and you're getting a lot sure more out of it. i not about that
0: either. It scares me when people do that, because I had a Nord Modular. And the Nord Modular sounded amazing in version 2, and then they got all of their DSP code more efficient and released version 3, and it completely changed the sound of the instrument. I mean, it did sound... It sounded completely different to my ears, so...
1: Could you go back?
0: You could stay in version 2 if you wanted to, so you could either have the new nice-looking graphical interface on your computer, or you could stay in the old version and have a decent-sounding keyboard.
1: I suppose the thing with this kind of thing, I mean, because it's such a substantial investment that they're going to keep developing new stuff for it, whereas, you know, if you're talking about an OS upgrade for something that costs a couple of hundred bucks, then, you know, who cares? Well, sure, we'll leave that. We'll leave that to the uh, the super keyboard players and the people who can afford it, but I'm sure they'll be pleased to know that uh, they've now got two whole new virtual instruments if they presumably had to sell everything so they can actually afford a Korg Oasis, so so they're getting by some token of some of this back through Korg's um, software update program. Real time streaming. Did anyone see this? The uh, source elements. What source net, uh, elements allows you to do is effectively um, take take a, a stream that's coming via the internet and stream via the internet, so you can have real time recording into your door. Uh, out, out, out monitoring out to to a client. So, I mean, it looks to me like what it's doing is replacing that sort of ISDN voiceover studio. Yeah, yeah. Definitely.
0: If it works, I guess it would be a good thing. I mean, those things are always useful. You know, if it works, that's the question. Does it work? I'd like to see it work. Well, there's a lot of... I can comment
1: on it properly. There are, there are a few kind of... Um, Users who are saying it's the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, presumably, I think this is where where this is really coming down is going to be very useful for maybe immediate playback for for mixes, and uh, it does look like the ISDN thing. They're really going for that because you know IDSN ISDN is not really uh, a, that much of a current technology, and it's sort of being it's not as fast as a lot of broadband in a lot of cases. So you don't even get that quality. You tend to need sort of multiple pairs to get very high quality audio coming at you. So this looks like a kind of software plug-in uh, solution to that problem and it's available with rtas and vst so you can use it within your favorite sequencer folks
0: the the isdn thing to set up and use in a studio is horrifically expensive because you need i think it's six lines open to to represent a stereo 44.1 mix so
1: wow there's a local studio had to who had that and a and member going in in this little room with a sort of they they phone New York or wherever it is you're sending to and say okay you're ready and you know somebody pro, put the dat in to record that end and then you play this end and they say did you get it and that would kind of be it it was yeah it was kind of curious way of doing things when you consider now most people just send an MP3 don't they so
0: yeah yeah
2: yeah true I was only ever witnessed one sort of ISDN audio thing which looked like a complete nightmare. I think as Mark said, it was hideously expensive.
0: Well the other thing is I mean we've done it with Duran Duran where Simon's replaced the vocal over ISTN and you have to pay for two studios. You're in one studio with this whole ISTN link thing, you know, with half the musicians in England and he's in another studio in Texas with you know, like a another load of ISTN links. And it's just massively, massively expensive. So if the I mean if it may, if it means that It's a cheaper way of doing it, then it's got to be good, really, hasn't it?
1: Well, I mean, speaking of uh, digital, digital music sales, 945 million. That's getting on for a billion dollars, isn't it?
2: For the first half year in 2006. I did look at it, because it said overall sales were down, wasn't it? Yeah, physical music sales declined by 10%, and a 4% decline in total music sales for half year. Ah, I didn't see that part.
1: I just saw the digital sales now account for 11% of recorded music market worldwide,
2: up from 5.5% in December 2005. Uh, I'm not surprised, really, in a way. I mean, it's far more bloody convenient for me to go onto iTunes and just download something without leaving uh, the comfort of me, uh, Herman Miller, air on chair, advertising plug there, Um, rather than traipse into town, find somewhere to park, go into HMV or any other music store and uh, buy something.
0: I don't want to buy things on iTunes because I don't want to get low quality versions of things. I want the full bandwidth version, so I suppose that's my.
1: I think cost. that's a fair point. I mean, we've yeah. covered that before, haven't we? I mean, it's. Yeah, also, digital music's
2: great and convenient, but we're still not
1: getting all the bits, are we?
2: No, and also, like Mark said, you know, sleeve notes and stuff like that. I like all that stuff. Artwork. I mean, alright, you can have downloadable artwork, but uh, I think, and, and as Mark said, the biggest thing that drives me insane is that slightly lower quality or considerably lower quality
0: on some stuff
1: but anyway i mean i suppose it's no surprise it's getting there and hopefully they can uh, figure out a way of selling us high quality digital music
0: they should offer you a choice shouldn't they but i think the problem that apple would have is if they put their entire library of music onto into apple lossless codec they're probably going to take up i don't know maybe 10 times as much space on their servers and they've probably got billions of terabytes of stuff there already so
1: yeah um, but they got a few quid <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not like they're kind of going oh no we've got to count the pennies is yeah, it
0: I don't, are they making any money from this yet i guess they must be by now i would think so said their original idea was that they would sell digital music at cost so that they would entice people to buy it because um because they figured that they needed to make it as cheap as possible so that people would buy it as opposed to copying it from someone else. But I still don't understand what's supposed to stop me from copying it from someone else, because it doesn't seem that there's enough um, there's not enough measures in place to stop people from copying music. I mean, no, personally- but people have
1: tried. I mean, you know, look at Sony's debacle, you know, they ended up getting screwed because they didn't, do, do their homework right and ended up installing you know so-called malware on people's PCs and people just go hey wait a minute I want to listen to music I don't want you taking over my my computer
0: yeah well hang on but is isn't the Apple iTunes taking over your computer if you enable the the little mini store at the bottom it tracks everything you do so switch it off if you don't want to be tracked
2: ah, didn't know that
0: <laughs>
1: Did uh, anyone see that? That uh, crafty software developer um, who put something on KVR saying he discovered a way of of kind of putting a sort of Easter egg type copy protection into his well, it was sort of time, doesn't it, into his into his sub- software? It was uh, Zebra, wasn't it? Dave, you probably know a bit more about this.
2: Uh, yeah, as uh, Heckman, um, yes, he did actually, and uh, I thought it was rather amusing. Frankly, caused a bit of a stink though, didn't it? Yeah. So, what, what did he do exactly? Well, he had a public beta that he put up on KVR. And that was uh, hacked and cracked and distributed um, you know, before the actual product was released. So I think as a result of that, he decided to kind of put some slightly more intelligent some checking stuff in there so that if uh, anybody tampered with it, basically the GUI melted. So then he got a load of tech support messages on release of people going, oh, I've just bought your software and uh, the GUI's melting. So he was going, actually, you didn't buy it then because uh, that was a little thing I built in. Uh, to kind of fool the crackers. And I think his argument was is that actually it doesn't take an awful lot of sense or intelligence or anything like that to hack any uh, of these plug-in stuff now. So he was trying to make them work a little bit harder.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were, there were some sort of interesting arguments on there. One of them was sort of somebody saying, oh, no, don't, man, you'll just provoke them. And I was just thinking, Christ, you know, what? what's, what's the world come? So basically, these people who are working on software fear the wrath of some pimply geek... Just in case you, um, you know, you make it difficult for them to steal. It's kind of like saying, you know, don't, don't put a lock
2: on your front door because then someone will k- just kick it in. I mean, it just seems kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could go on for either two minutes, two hours, or two days on this subject.
0: I, th- I think the software need, does need some kind of—I don't know. I mean, people call it malware, but it needs some kind of IP tracking or some kind of, you know tracking so that if people use it who aren't meant to be use it, using it, you know, at least the software companies know about it and can maybe do something about it in the future. And, I don't think and you'd that, get uh, away
1: with that though, would you? I mean, it's kind of an invasion of privacy. I mean, th- most international laws would probably just say, no, nope, you can't do it.
0: But it doesn't have to be hugely complicated, does it? It could be that the software registers itself online without having to input all of those daft codes maybe it can do it itself
1: i think you have to physically input things because if it just assumes things and says right this is your machine id i'm going to take it and send it off somewhere on the internet i think that sort of stuff can get you into terrible
2: trouble can uh, i yes 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 definitely
0: I mean, I think TC, I was using a program called TC Spark, and I used it on more than one machine, and they rang me up and asked me what was going on. So wow. they, how did they know? Wow. Because, I mean, I, I think I'd authorized it on two different machines, and I said, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm using it, it's fine, it is my version. So, they, I mean, they tracked it somehow.
1: I mean, there was one, there was one uh, quip in that thread. What you do is just find out whether or, whether or not the, uh, the PC's got a webcam on it and just take a picture of them and post it on a website saying, this person is a crack-
2: is a hacker or a <laughs> criminal. <laughs> it would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? I don't know whether you'd get away with that either. <laughs> I think we'd probably be in some serious trouble.
0: I, I quite like, like that. that. So, I could, so I could sit at home doing masses of <laughs> in front of my webcam, but if somebody accessed it without my permission and posted pictures of me doing it somewhere then i would they would get in trouble not me
1: i well i think both of you would probably get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> so i mean what can be done i mean you know obviously it's i think he, the guy was getting a lot of support on the kvr forum saying you know way to go but he was also getting a lot of people saying oh, you shouldn't do that you shouldn't mess with them you're only going to provoke people to to try harder and and I think his point was, well, they should try harder. Why should I make it easy for them? But presumably there are companies that are doing it quite well. I mean, I don't know of many native instruments cracks, and I don't know of many current wave cracks. So I mean, they must be...
2: I've yet to see a workable solution. I think the ILOC stuff uh, is looking increasingly more interesting as time goes on. And I hate to say that, but basically we've tried to jump through a million hoops, and none of them have been successful. And ultimately, at the end of the day... We have to make a living. I mean half the coders that you know we've used could go and work for Philips or Pioneer or any of those big companies and earn five times as much money. So I think you know what happens is is people get to the point where they're completely demoralized seeing their work as banded around as kind of worthless, and then they go off and earn the kind of big money and I think you know from my perspective that's a real shame, so you get a sort of
1: brain drain basically because people are just being hived off to sort of more of a corporate environment and they're not. They're not prepared to put the sort of creative effort and come up with the fantastic new concepts because
2: someone's just going to steal it from them. Yeah, and I think the real shame is, you know, a lot of the warehouse guys are going, oh, you know, well, we're anti-corporates and we're anti-globalisation. sort of globalization. Well, actually, 99.99% of the software developers I know are exactly the same.
0: And the most important point, I think, in that KBR <coughs> article was that he was trying to target people that were using the software so he wasn't really interested in those sort of spotty kids that turn up and go, oh, "I've got this PC, when I've got you know every piece of music software that exists, but they don't even have a clue how to use it." He was interested in the people that are actually pirating the software and using it to make a living. I think, I mean, it doesn't matter if there's a hundred thousand copies of a piece of software out there in the hands of people that weren't going to use it anyway. What you know? What's the problem? If if A hundred of those copies are in the hands of top record producers who absolutely won't go out and buy it, but use it all the time to create, you know, the the latest top chart sound. Let's say, then you know something should be done about that because those guys are making a living out of using a tool which was provided for them by somebody who's now being, you know, made to be out of pocket and not making a living, and it doesn't seem right that. Millionaire pop stars should steal from poor, lowly software producers.
2: The uh, the idea that a lot of pro studios and whatnot are going to be slightly paranoid about, you know, some client coming in and paying x amount an hour, and then all of a sudden, you know, the GUI melting in front of their eyes, revealing that basically the studio is using crack software, could be quite entertaining in itself. Well, I, I mean, I think we've
1: probably, um, we've probably covered this one quite thoroughly, but I thought there was some interesting comments made in that thread and uh, one worth reading if uh, this is the sort of thing you find interesting. If not, thought- then you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Did anyone see that Whistler? this a piece of software that's been entered in this competition that's basically should what should be made, and they've written a specification for it, and uh, you can vote. And if they if you get, I presumably if they win a prize, then they get to make it. But it sounds like a really good idea. It's just very simply a pitch to MIDI converter that interfaces between you and your software instrument or plugin or whatever. And you can just whistle or tap or hum your lines into the sequencer. You don't need any kind of a MIDI interface.
2: If I'm it sure works. it's been done. Yeah. yeah. Anyone remember that Fairlight voice tracker? Yeah,
0: That's- basically
2: yeah <laughs> did it work how much was that and did it work god
0: <laughs> uh, roland had a roland had a similar thing as well didn't they voice to midi tracker simon lebon had one because he wanted to be able to sing lines into um you know various music programs that didn't work very well either
2: <laughs> i'm just wondering how the sort of warbling whistler the whistler with loads of vibrato how that's going to be captured
1: but surely the computers these days must have enough CPU power and cycle speed to be able to kind of do a much better job.
2: I'd love it if it works. The first thing I'd do is go down a couple of building sites and uh, get some whistling from some of the old lads labouring away. Come back and try and assign it to a sound. See what happens. It would be great fun.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, I, I think perhaps I mean you read the you read the specification and think, wow, what a great idea. But um perhaps the actual getting it to work in the way that they describe in this rather well-written, colourful pitch is probably um, going to be difficult. But if they do, I mean, there are sort of comments like, yeah, I think this should be bundled with every Mac and all of that kind of thing. And it's, I mean, if it did work, it would be fantastic,
2: really, wouldn't it? Uh, there is a company called Widisoft, um, who do something very similar, actually. It seems uh, there's a VST plugin and there's also an audio unit one. Uh, and I was quite tempted, actually. I, I found that through this thread. Uh, it was quite tempted to download that and give it a go, just for a laugh. Free 20-day trial.
1: But, uh, yeah, no, nice nice little uh, idea. But, um, yes, as you said last week, Dave, don't tell me, show me, I think. Uh, definitely. New Pusher album out. I was really hoping to get Squarepusher to come and talk to us, but uh, he takes a leaf out of Aphex Twins' book and basically won't do any press or PR or promo for any of his records. But this is his new first new record for a while. He's he's quite an interesting character. He's because he's very musical. If you've seen some of his early stuff, he's kind of a bass guitar virtuoso, pretty good at drumming. Oh, what's that? Oh, sorry, Is that no, a bit no, of Square
2: Pusher. A bit of his album,
1: yeah. Ah, right. Well, the the current one. Yeah, I just went onto the web page. Hello, everything. It's called. And that, now I've just closed it. He's quite an interesting guy. I mean, he started off in this sort of real techno kind of TB three hundred three SH one hundred one kind of guy, and he sort of went into kind of noise terror, extreme jungleist kind of un- unpleasantness for a while, and now this new album, he seems to sort of come back into the world of melody and uh, nicer sounding, uh, or easier on the ear.
0: No, I don't really know his stuff. I've listened to this, and it's a bit too easy on the ear for me. I don't know. I mean, from a programming aspect, I'm listening to it too much, maybe, because I'm not totally taken by the music, and I'm listening to you know, his use of cheesy reverb and everything. <laughs> thinking, "Mm, I don't really
1: like it. But he seems to have a lot of um, fans. You know, there's uh, the Neptunes, are big fans of his, you know, and they're obviously um, fairly... Yeah, I can see why they
0: would be, actually.
1: I think a lot of people really admire his programming skills. It's funny, the the same sort of thing happens to BT as well because he's supposedly got this kind of very scientific approach, you know, and he gets into the really granular kind of programming, and he seems to get a lot
2: of respect for it.
0: I mean it's I guess it's just not my taste. I can't really slate him for not being my taste, can I?
2: The tracks that I'd heard before was uh, was it My Red Hot Car? Yes, that's that one. was the kind of big one, yeah, which was phenomenal. And I mean you, there's no denying that he can play it, but um no, I agree on this one is it, it does sound a little bit too easy listening for me.
0: I mean there's there's one track on there called The Modern Bass Guitar which would be great in a club with an endless supply of ecstasy, but you, I can't live life like that. So, <laughs> But, I mean, that, track, that track's that track got something more than all the other ones. I mean, there's some excitement in there. I'm going to have to anti-plug myself here and say that I hope nobody goes and listens to any of my music now because I'm not sure it's any better.
1: Well, we did. I mean, he's incredibly popular. I did a, an artist profile on him, and I just recorded a little bit of, uh, you know, introduction. And it has had an enormous amount of hits and lots of comments and lot, it's, in, it's, it's generated a lot of interest. So um, that's why I, I thought we'd sort of it'd be worth mentioning that we've got his new, new album and it's and it's just out. Um, but for those who are interested, uh, it was out on Monday and it's on Mute Records and it's called Hello Everything by Squarepusher. I saw a picture of a McDonald's soft drink container with a sort of MP3 player stuck in the side of it. You can use it for listening to your tunes while you slurp on sugary, fizzy stuff, Uh, but don't plug it into your PC because it might actually have some spyware on it.
0: It's rather unfortunate, isn't it, really? I'm not entirely sure they did it on purpose. I got the the impression that they'd accidentally put something on there. Whoever programmed the MP3 players or put the music on or whatever must have connected it to an infected PC. But you'd think that a company of this size would be able to uh, make sure that their IT infrastructure was okay, wouldn't you? Well, you'd think Safe so. I don't think
1: that person is going to get a gold star and an Employee of the Month framed photograph, <laughs>
0: <are they>? <laughs> <laughs> I like those badges. I tried to get one of those from the, the uh, local McDonald's, tried to talk them into giving me one, but they wouldn't give me one.
1: I I um, I know someone who worked for McDonald's for a little while. Um and it was they said it was great. She actually quite enjoyed it and had quite a laugh and made a reasonable amount of money for the time that she did it.
0: Yeah, I stopped being self-employed last year because I actually worked out that over the course of a year if I worked in McDonald's 40 hours a week I could probably make more money or in terms of you know the amount of time that you spend in a studio and then get paid your day rate when it gets to the end of the day I'm sure that those guys are on more money than me. <laughs>
1: I think we're kind of done. I don't think I've got anything else. Does anyone have anything they wanted to add?
0: I have got one thing I'd like to add. Looking on MySpace, I came across a woman on MySpace called Emily Autumn. She heralds herself as a Victorian industrial um, musician. She's a classically trained violinist. And she's, she seems to be a cross between sparks and nine-inch nails. It looks quite interesting. <laughs>
1: Does she dress like an industrial Victorian?
0: Yeah, she does dress like an industrial Victorian. Uh I listened to a couple of the tracks and they look they they sound quite interesting. A sort of electronic, hard industrial sound with a really quite interesting and virtuoso voice over the top of it. So.
1: Alright, well we'll check that out as your top listening tip. I suppose Dave you should um, you should be able to to counter. Have you, have you got anything that you've, that you've discovered or listened to
2: in the last last week or so that uh, you'd like to share with us? There's, couple, there's certainly one MySpace guy who's um, got my interest at the minute. It's uh, called Molsom, M-O-L-E-S-O-M-E. He's got this amazing studio in Norway and uh, it's full of Optigons and Metatrons. He's got this GX1 that was ABBA's as well, but he churns out some pretty damn slick stuff and uh, I've been chatting with him recently uh and other than that blimey uh no i'm just listening to the pre-release of the underworld breaking and entering soundtrack lucky you when do the rest of us get to hear it uh, i think it's the 6th of november okay well, we'll look out for that have you have you been involved in that then is that something that you've had had an input to uh little bits and pieces but not you yeah, know nothing nothing major no it's just it's it's quite fascinating because they're working with this uh french composer gabriel yarid and breaking and entering was produced um, directed by the Anthony McGeller with The English Patient and he used the same guy to do the music this Gabrielle I for that so I thought the collaboration was really interesting um, but I was witness to a couple of the jam sessions up at Abbey Road and they were um, it was pretty fascinating so yeah actually getting remits on the album and hearing it is reward enough really
1: Okay well I suppose we can we can wrap it I'd just like to say um, thanks once again Dave Thank you and also, thank you very much, Mark, Tinley.
0: Okay. You're
1: welcome. Just remember, folks, uh, please do contact us. So uh, We'd love to hear from you. I can't believe that, for uh, all the downloads we get, that nobody wants to ring up and... Uh Give us a piece of their mind so here's a challenge somebody ring us up and get, leave us something we can use uh, anyway if you want to contact us the skype handle is sonic talk or if you want to use the phone our number in the us is 312-376-8089 uh, outside the us 001-312-376-8089 email sonic talk at sonicstate.com thanks for listening sonic state <laughs>